Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. Hebrews chapter 1, I'd like to preach a message. I've preached from this passage before. I love this passage of Scripture. In fact, it's the outline that I have comes right straight uh, I'm even going to try to use alliteration. It comes right straight from our passage of Scripture. Before I read our text passage of Scripture, the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 1, I'd like for you to maybe put down your pen, put your hands in your lap, and, and just do something that we don't do very often. Imagine. Use your imagination. Can you do that for just a second? Use your imagination. Imagine that you're a shepherd. You've taken a job working the fields outside the Jerusalem suburb of Bethlehem. Imagine with me, because of your lack of seniority, you are assigned to the night shift. The hours are bad. Eh, The work's not so hard. The sheep sleep contentedly in their fence and clothes fold, and your job is to guard them from predators. Now, the worst part of the job is staying warm. And uh, during those long winter nights, you take turns with your co-workers. Remember, you're using your imagination here. You're warming your hands by the fire. And your backside by the fire, trying to stay warm. One night, an unbelievable thing happens. As you're standing around, keeping your hands warm with your buddies... Out of nowhere, a glorious creature, that's the best way to describe it, appears in the middle of the night. You can scarcely look at him because of the brilliant light that's flowing and that's emanating from this powerful form. Actually, looking at him kind of blinds you. and You've got to put up your hands uh, to guard your, your eyes there. It's, it appears that you're suddenly in the middle of the day. It's so bright. He just appears at your fire. And he stands there staring at you. And his luminous uh, lights up the whole field where you are. To say you're stunned puts it mildly. Greatly afraid is actually an understatement. You're shaking in your sandals. You're trembling all over. You have goosebumps everywhere. You're terrified. You crouch down in fear because your sins have finally come out and you're waiting for the judgment of God upon you. And then that creature speaks. His voice is terrifying. And yet, somehow it's comforting at the same time. He says this, hey guys, don't be afraid. What? This is terrifying in every manner. And he says, hey listen guys, behold, I bring you some good tidings of great joy which are going to go out to all the people Still quaking and shivering, if you're using your imagination, you listen intently as he says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This shall be a sign unto you. Hey, shepherd boys, you're going to find this babe wrapped in rags. And he's going to be lying in a manger. 
And no sooner than these words are out of this creature's mouth, this beautiful creature in the sky, and suddenly the field is ablaze with a whole multitude that can only be described as angels. Now you're really afraid. There was a tremendous sound. Just imagine with me what that sound must have been if there were angels as they all at once began to praise God. It was like the roar of the sea tide, and it was like a mighty wind at the same time. And, and some of your friends later said that they were singing, but all that you can remember is what they said. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Then as suddenly as they appeared, boom, they're gone. The only sounds that I can now hear is the crackling of the fire and maybe a contented bleep of a sheep or two. You and your buddies, you sit there, gap mouth, for a few minutes. You're unable to move. You can hardly breathe. I cannot comprehend what I just saw. I can't recall everything that I just heard. The paralysis begins to wear off and clearly embedded in, in my mind and all my buddies' minds is this, is there was this message, hey, listen, there's a city of David in Bethlehem and, and I'm supposed to go there and there's this Savior, there's this Christ, there's the long-awaited Messiah who has come and, and he's the anointed one of whom the prophets spoke about and what a glorious sight this must be uh, for there in Bethlehem I have been invited by angels to go see this Lord. Hey, listen, I'm not that old, but all my life my parents have talked about these prophecies of the coming Christ, the Messiah who's going to be the Savior of Israel. Could this be it? Could I, as a shepherd boy, have really just heard from the angels that told me to go see the Messiah? Is this the time when this Messiah is going to come and free us from the crushing power of Rome that's dominating my country? Are you using your imagination? Can you imagine the Messiah, he's going to be a mighty warrior. He's going to ride into Jerusalem on a mighty stallion. You've heard and you've imagined his, the miracle working power of Elijah. You've heard that he would have the wisdom of Solomon. You've heard that he would have the leadership of Moses. And you've heard that he would have the faith of Father Abraham. And he would have the military uh, acumen of Joshua. But I'm so confused. Do you know what the angel said? The Messiah would be a baby. And I would find him in a manger. And he's going to be wrapped in rags. And I am so confused. And suddenly, imagine with me, everybody is there in their own thoughts. And suddenly, this, the paralysis is worn off. And every one of my friends, all these shepherds, we begin talking at once. No one's listening to everyone. But finally, we all agree, we better go leave the sheep here, and we better go see this thing. And they go even into Bethlehem to see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. And 
So you leave the manger, you leave the sheep, and everyone is looking, where do we go in Bethlehem? And everyone is instinctively drawn to this one little stable that's at the back of the inn. And you rush there as fast as your little legs can carry you. And you have your little olive oil lamp that's lighting the way. And there you get there, and and you find a teen girl, and her husband's older, and they are there, they're all admiring this baby that's lying in the straw. And you immediately drop to your knees. And you inch a little bit closer and, and it seems like time stands still and, and all attention is being given to this infant. Listen, is that not too far from what may have really happened? Imagine Shepherd boys, the lowest low of the low, the angels of heaven came and spoke to them. I wonder this morning if those shepherd boys wondered, who was this Jesus? I wonder what was going through their mind. What was their first impression? In this brief account of the adoration of the shepherds from Luke chapter 2, we don't know exactly what they thought. Uh, we do know what they said. Here's what they said. After seeing the baby in the manger, the Bible says they returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Here's what I'd like to do. I would like to tell you this morning about my Jesus. I'd like to tell you this morning about that royalty that was in the manger that day. To do that, we find our text in Hebrews chapter number 1. And if you would bear with me, I'd just like to read the first four verses together. God, who at sundry times and divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophet, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, capital S, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he hath made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Father, I love your word, and there's so much. It's rich passage this morning. I and myself am inadequate to properly explain. So, Father, I ask your Holy Spirit to help me this morning to touch the mind, heart, and soul of everyone here to be reminded of the most important part of Christmas, and that is Jesus, who he is and what he can do. Heavenly Father, I need you this morning. Please help us during this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Over 150 years ago, William Chesterton Dix, he penned the words of the classic Christmas hymn. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. This, this is Christ the King. Whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud the babe the son of Mary. Dis, Dix, he asked the same question that the shepherds asked. What child is this? My friend, I believe that child that was in that manger was royalty at its finest. 
And I'd like to share seven characteristics that we find in four verses about this child. The first thing I see, characteristic number one, is the baby in the manger is the heir of all things. The baby in the manger is the heir of all things. The baby in the manger is both the son of Mary and the son of God. He had no human father. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. And as the son of Mary, he was heir to very little. As the son of God, he is heir because God owns all things and Jesus is heir of all things. The Bible even says of his son in Psalm, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. The Father says of Jesus in Psalm 89, Also I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. This word firstborn does not mean Christ is not eternal, but it speaks of his legal right as the Son of God. Paul wrote to the churches of Colossae, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Do you know that the Bible says everything was created for Jesus. When Jesus came to earth, he was born of a virgin, and thankfully we have that story. But he willingly divested himself of all his heavenly glory. Just think for a moment. He came to this world. He entered this world. He was so poor that he had to sleep in a barn. In fact, Luke wrote, uh, The Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He lived in intentional poverty that we might have eternal riches. And when Jesus returns to earth for his second advent or his second coming, he will not come as a baby in a manger. My friend, as we've learned from our study in the book of Revelation, the second time he comes to this earth, he is coming as the conquering king. And then the heir of all things, he's going to to truly inherit all things. When Jesus inherits all things, we as believers, guess what? We join him in this inheritance. The Bible says the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also uh, be glorified together. My friend, we are joint heirs with Christ. So characteristic number one, he is an heir. Characteristic number two, the baby in the manger, the Bible says in our pastor scripture from Hebrews, is creator of all things. He's the creator of all things. By whom the Father made the worlds, the Bible says. All men are created in the image of God. We bear the mark of God upon us. God is creative, and because he made us in his image, and though we are marred by sin, we too are creative. All of us, one way or another, have a desire to create. Think of the great works of art that are all around us. And if you doubt men and women are naturally creative, go to an elementary school art exhibit. 
Think of the great works of literature that have uh, come to be. It took great creativity to conceive them, to write them. The next time you're driving around here in Tucson, consider the architecture you see. Someone's mind designed all of that. God is creative, and he made us to be creative too. Now, yesterday... Um, with great excitement and enthusiasm, I did one of the most amazing things of all my life. I'm speaking sarcastically. I was invited to go to a robot wars competition at a local high school. And one of our teenagers uh, uh, goes to, to one of the high schools here in town. He had entered a robot to go fight against other robots. And uh, we went and we watched the robots fight against each other. Well, it was creative, and it was amazing to see the, the ingenuity of those high school students. But there's one crucial element that separates us from being creative and God. God is creative, but here's the difference. God creates from nothing. God creates from nothing. The Bible clearly teaches that it was Jesus, the Son of God, who framed this world. For example, John wrote, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. But to us, there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him. And the one, Lord Jesus Christ, by whom all things, uh, by, by whom are all things, and we by him. Note in our text in Hebrews chapter 1, Jesus made the world. Typically when speaking of the earth, the Greek New Testament uses the word cosmos. But here in this particular passage of scripture, the Greek word aeons is used like eons or ages. Jesus not only created the physical realm that we can see, but listen, Jesus is also the one who created time and space and energy and matter. How ludicrous it is that so-called scientists who try to teach our children that one day this world exploded into existence by some cosmic matter. How ludicrous it is to believe in evolution. It takes way less faith to believe that a God in heaven spoke this world into existence. Logic dictates to us that out of nothing comes nothing. And only a deluded, blind faith enables some to believe that the complexity of all creation simply evolved from nothing. If there were ever nothing, my friend, there still would be nothing. God has always been. Think of it this way. Jesus, he designed the womb which his body was formed. He masterfully created the placenta and the uterus wall that would feed him for some nine months. And when he was born, think about this, he was laid in what they call a manger. He created the tree from which that lumber that the manger had come from. He created the material from which the swaddling clothes or rags were milled. He created the atomic structure that held the manger up. He created the gravitational force that kept that manger uh, from floating out into space. He created everything. May I just say, Jesus created every aspect of the physical world, and then he chose to enter it as a helpless baby. Wow. I, I don't even know that our minds can grasp that thought. 
The baby in the manger, he's the heir. He's the creator of all things. But in our passage of Scripture, there's a third characteristic that I see. The baby in the manger, the Bible says, is the brightness of God's glory. The brightness of God's glory. In verse number 3, it says the brightness of his or the Father's glory. Now, the word brightness comes from a Greek word that means this, to send forth the light. It can be translated the radiance of God's glory or the reflection of God's glory. In time past, as verse number one says, God revealed his glory to men at various times and in various ways. Uh, Men got glimpses of the glory or the shining radiance of God. Do you remember Moses? Moses was the lawgiver. And he once asked God to show him his glory. And God told him that no one could see his face and live. And so do you remember the story? God put Moses in the cleft of a rock. And he allowed uh, his glory to pass before Moses. And Moses just got a glimpse, the Bible says, of the backward parts of God as that regal train of God's glory flowed by him. Sort of like maybe the, the regal train of a, of a bride as we watch that train go down the aisle or exit the, uh, after they have been married. Uh, The fact of the matter is, is that God's glory was so bright that Moses had to wear a veil to, to, to hide the brightness of his glory as he radiated for days upon days. Oh, the people of Israel. They even experienced the brightness of God's glory because as they were out in the wilderness doing their wanderings about, they could look up in the sky and during the day they would see the the pillar of a cloud by day. At night they would see the pillar of fire when the tabernacle was complete. God's presence came down on his mercy seat and the Bible says his Shekinah glory was so bright that no one could look upon it. Isaiah the prophet, received a glimpse of God's glory in the temple. And the Bible says he saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the whole temple. And he saw the seraphim who was ministering, who cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Um, And the Bible says the whole earth was full of his glory. Isaiah was so overcome by this sight, that he just said this, Woe is me, for I am undone. Throughout the Old Testament, we see glimpses of glory, but in the New Testament, we see God's glory is also fully revealed. One day, the glory of God came uh, uh, not in a cloud, but it actually came on a mountain, and uh, not in the temple, but glory came wrapped also in swaddling clothes. Perhaps the Apostle John said it best, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And when we receive Christ, may I tell you something? We receive glory. And when we are saved, the glory of God is bound up in our hearts. And you know what worship is? Let me give you a little secret. Worship is letting the glory out. Some of you did that well today. Jesus said this, I am the light of the world, and he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. How sad it is, even as we celebrate the Christmas, that the salvation of the world that many still prefer to walk in darkness. And I'm saddened that today, 
Some will hear this very message and choose to walk the way of the world rather than the way of Christ. Paul said, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine forth unto them. Don't let the evil one blind your heart and your mind from receiving Jesus Christ. The fourth characteristic that I see in the passage of Scripture that we read about the royalty in the manger is this. The baby in the manger is the image of the Father. The baby in that manger was the image of the Father. In fact, verse 3 says that Jesus is the express image of his person or his Father. He was not only the brightness of the, uh, of the glory of God. The Bible says he is God. Jesus is the physical manifestation of the eternal almighty God. That phrase, express image in your Bible, it comes from a term used to describe the impression that a stamp or a seal would make. Important papers are often uh, sealed with wax, and the signet of the ring of the noble would be put in that, and it could not be broken. The stamp of the ring ensured that that document was official. By the way, this practice in some way is still carried over today. An important document must be witnessed and sealed by a notary public. In the same way, Jesus is the express image. In other words, he has the seal of the Father. Luther said it this way. He said that Jesus is God deep in the flesh. Everything about Jesus reflects the Father. In fact, Paul said, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. That word image here is a different word. It comes from icon, uh, which we get our word icon from. It means a precise copy, an exact replication. Um, it means the closest we might come in our culture to understanding this term is the word uh, photograph, an exact reproduction. Jesus is the perfect picture of God. Uh, why is that important? If you want to know what the Father looks like, look at Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 may also be translated in verse number 3 this way, the Son reflects the glory of God and shows exactly what God is like. Jesus is that physical expression of God. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus said of himself, He that has seen me has seen what? The Father. The Old Testament seems to reveal that Jesus appeared many times before that night in Bethlehem in a human form. He appeared in what we call a theophany or Christophany, uh, which was the visible image of God. When Mary gave birth, she was not the first sight those little eyes had ever seen. Jesus, the express image of God, was and has always been eternal. That's important when we come in to understanding who Jesus is. Oh, let me quickly give you another characteristic. The fifth characteristic of this royalty in the manger, the baby in the manger, is that he is the upholder of all things. Now, some of you may be wondering, where is God? Our country is falling apart. Our state is falling apart. The wickedness and deceitfulness of those in, in, in politics, even in our own state, has gone to another level. Where is God? You say God really cares. God's the upholder of all things? Come on, pastor. Do you know how bad things are in this country? I do. And I also know this. It's all coming to an end soon. 
and be encouraged that this world is falling apart because we are ripe for the Lord Jesus Christ to come back. But in this passage of Scripture, in verse number 3, it makes a fascinating statement. We read it. The Bible says it tells us that Jesus is continually upholding all things by the word of his power. That means that he is the sustaining force of all creation. Jesus not only made all things, will inherit all things. Right now, he is sustaining. He's upholding all things. The Greek word behind upholding means to support or to maintain. It's used here in the present tense, implying that Jesus is right now continually upholding all things. Right now, this Sunday, he's right now upholding all things, even the seat in which you sit. The Bible says he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He holds everything together. Paul told the Greek skeptics in Athens, in him we live and move and have our being. May I just say I'm thankful that Jesus is still in charge. Or where would we be this morning? How desperate would it be? Now, we all desire order and consistency And disaster strikes when natural order is disrupted, when a violent tornado touches down in the Midwest, in the plains, when a horrific earthquake uh, touches or or shakes the West Coast, or when a violent volcanic eruption takes place. By the way, that's disturbing the natural order. People die, and the world becomes chaotic. I just say, the day's coming when Jesus is not going to uphold all things because we're going to be out and we're going to be with Jesus and this world's going to be hell on earth. I'm thankful Jesus is still in charge. And he's still upholding things because without him we would all perish in a moment. What if he suspended the law of gravity for a moment? What if he uh, allowed us to be hurled into space? Listen, this may be a little tedious, but listen to what one commentator wrote. I think it bears repeating. Consider what instant destruction would happen if the Earth's rotation slowed down just a little. The sun has a surface temperature of 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit. If we were any closer, we would burn up. If we were any further away, we would freeze. Our globe is tilted in an exact angle of 23 degrees, providing us with four seasons, except in Tucson. If it were not so tilted, if, if it were not so tilted at 23 degrees, vapors from the oceans would move north and south and develop into monstrous continents of ice. If the moon did not retain its exact distance from the earth, the ocean tides would inundate the land completely twice a day. If the ocean floors were merely a few feet deeper, Then they are. The carbon dioxide and oxygen balance of the Earth's atmosphere would be completely upset and no animal or plant life could exist. How does the universe stay in this kind of fantastically delicate balance? This commentator wrote, Jesus Christ sustains and monitors its movements and its inner working. Christ maintains it all. I say amen. I'm thankful for Jesus Christ. He's the upholder of all things. That baby in Bethlehem was born into a world that he controlled by the power of his word. If he could control the heavenly bodies, it's no wonder a woman could be healed by the touching of her garment, a blind man given sight by the touch of his hands, or that he could walk across the angry waves of the Sea of Galilee. My friend, Jesus was 2,000 years ago and still is 2,000 years later, the upholder of all things in your life. If he can do that, 
He loves us so desperately. Why do we ever worry? Why we do not just allow him to work in our lives? I can take such great promise from this verse, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it or will complete it in the day of Jesus Christ. If he can uphold all creation, surely he can uphold me. If he can uphold all of creation, surely he can uphold you. My friend, take hope this morning. There's a characteristic number six that we see in Hebrews chapter 1 about this royalty in the manger. The baby in the manger is also the purger of our sins. He's the purger of our sins. How wonderful that we have a Savior that created the world and sustains all things by his power. Greater news still is that he has purged our sins. We are all sinners. There's not a one among us who has never sinned. And because of our sin, we deserve physical death and spiritual death and eternal alienation from God. But I'm so thankful this Old Testament picture, the purging or the washing away of sins is the work of the high priest. The Old Testaments, they made a continual sacrifice on behalf of the people. May I just tell you this morning, Jesus made one. The baby was born in Bethlehem to become the perfect once-in-a-lifetime sacrifice for our sins. The Bible describes him as the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus was not just a sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice, the perfect sinless sacrifice. He was holy and he was pure. And the Bible says, Know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain or empty conversations received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. But now, once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Our text says that he by himself purged our sins. No one helped Jesus pay our for our sins. Even his father turned his back on his son. All alone, Jesus prayed in the garden. All alone, he hung suspended between heaven and hell. All alone, uh, he bore the sins of the entire world. That baby in Bethlehem, he truly was born to die. I wonder this morning, have you accepted him as your personal Lord and Savior? He purged our sins so that we don't have to suffer for all of eternity. Finally, this morning as my time is slipping away, there's a seventh characteristic that we see here in Hebrews chapter number 1, and that is that the baby in the manger, he's the completer of our salvation. He is the completer of our salvation. Don't skip over this statement here in our, our verse. It's very important. It's, this is so critical to what we believe. Jesus, the Bible says, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is now at the right hand of God the Father. The right hand always symbolizes power. In the Old Testament, there were no, there were no seats in the temple. The priest never sat down because the work of making sacrifices for sin was never over. They had to continually make sacrifice by the thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands the priests made sacrifices. The most Important words in this phrase here in Hebrews chapter 1 are these two words, sat down. Jesus sat down because he was finished. 
He completed the work of our salvation by making one perfect, lasting sacrifice for our sins. He himself said from the cross these words, It is finished. How sad that so many people work so hard for what they can never attain. Jesus has already done the work. He offers salvation to all of us freely. He sits at the right hand of God today, at this very moment, to make intercession for us. My friend, we ask you to pray for four four requests at the beginning of this message. I say once again, Jesus is seated at the right hand of my Heavenly Father and your Heavenly Father, ever making intercession for us. And when we pray, He's going to deliver those prayer requests to our Heavenly Father. Romans chapter 8, verse 34 says, He is even at the right hand of God also, who also maketh intercession for us. What did those shepherds see? As they were quaking in fear, here's what they saw. They saw royalty in the manger. They saw this baby as the heir of all things, the creator of all things, the brightness of God's glory, the image of our heavenly Father, the upholder of all things, the purger of our sins, and the completer of our salvation. As you see the plethora of the next few days of nativity scenes, Christmas cards, uh, scenes in people's yards, what will you see? Is it Santa Claus, reindeer, elves? We see royalty in a manger. You know, sometimes he gets put to the side. It reminds me of a story I read, and I'm finished. You can put up your notes in your Bible. Let me finish with a story. It reminds me of a story I read that took place in Europe. There's a wealthy European family, and they threw a party for their newborn baby and their enormous mansion. Oh, many dozens of guests were invited to the elaborate affair, and they all arrived, dressed to the nines, as they say. They would have their elegant wraps and their, their long uh, coats, and what would happen is uh, they were taken, the, 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 their wraps and their coats were taken to the bedroom, and they were thrown on a bed uh, to be taken later when they left. To, and after their wraps were removed and their heavy coats were removed, they, were, they would go into the, uh, into the house of this large, large house of this family of great royalty to be entertained. Oh, they had a fine meal and there was drinking and dancing and everything that would go along with such a party. And finally, the came, time came for the purpose of the gathering, introducing the new baby In this high social order, someone asked, where was the baby? They've already partied. They've already had a great time. The child's governess ran upstairs and returned with a desperate look on her face, and everyone searched frantically for the baby. And then someone recalled having seen the baby asleep on one of the beds. The baby was on a bed, all right, buried beneath a pile of coats and jackets and furs. And the object of the night's celebration had been forgotten and neglected and nearly smothered. Do you know I find that Christmas is often that way? The baby was alive, the baby was introduced, but it was an afterthought. So often the baby whose birthday we celebrate at Christmas is easily hidden beneath the piles of traditions and ridiculously overpriced gifts and cultural observances of the season and oh by the way yes oh oh yes somewhere at the end of the day on Christmas day we might remember that something to do about Jesus it'd be fruitful and helpful if all of us be reminded annually that true royalty graced this earth in the form of a manger 
grew up, lived a sinful, sinless life so that we who are sinful people could by faith trust Him as Lord and Savior. If you're saved this morning, say amen. amen. You've experienced royalty in the manger. You have been purged of your sins and you've understand that He completed your salvation. But there are those who could not say amen this morning. I challenge you to believe in Jesus. If you could say amen, I challenge you to tell others about Jesus. May this Christmas season not be another season that's about what I can get, but may be a season about what I can give. And I can give others the greatest message, the greatest news that's ever been told. Jesus is still alive. Jesus lives to make intercession for me. Listen, not you. Jesus makes intercession for me. Oh, and you. But sometimes we think it's somebody else. Jesus makes intercession for you if you'll talk.